fight the good fight. And um, we, in the year 2014, are going to uh, kind of spread that out through the year and try to be reminded of it at least three times during the year through series that I'm going to share. First of all, this series, which we're presently sharing, Fight the Good Fight as Stewards. We're looking at fighting a good fight from the perspective of stewards. And then the next time we get together on it here in a few more months, we'll be talking about fight the good fight as servants. And then finally, fight the good fight as soldiers as we go into the fall months. And we'll look forward to that. Now, again, we see here in our passage, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Again, we want to fight the good fight of faith. We're believers. We're children of God. And we certainly want to honor the Lord. We want to stand strong in this world in which we live. It's not easy to do that either. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a warfare. But we're able because of Christ and His indwelling presence in our life. Fight the good fight. And so, as we look at that, we begin by talking about stewardship. And in our uh, text, basically, of stewardship, we looked at 1 Corinthians 4, 2 that says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Men and women of God are to be faithful. If we're going to be good stewards, we have to be found faithful. In the book of Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 1, we began to deal with David and his kingdom. And the Bible told us and taught us there as we read, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over the thousands, and captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king, and of his sons, with his officers, with his mighty men, and with all the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Again, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God, we read in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 1 Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, in every single verse we read here, we find that there's something that a steward is over. But everything he's over is someone else's. It's not his own. He's not a steward of his own property his own um, gold, so to speak, his own uh, anything. He's just simply a steward over those things. And so we note that he has nothing to call his own. And he simply cares for the possessions and the substance of his master. And that is basically what we find. So when we talk about stewardship, we're talking about taking something that is someone else's and overseeing it, taking care of it. Okay, that's what we're talking about. And when we talk about being good stewards, uh, we're talking about the fact that we are going to be overseeing some things that God has shared with us, given to us, um, has made us stewards of. And so, uh, you and I are stewards of God's heritage. What's He given you? Has He given you health? You're to be a steward of it. Has He given you any type of finances at all? You're to be a steward of it. Has He given you any talent? You're to be a steward of it. Has He given you uh, any family, friends? You're to be stewards of that. So we're all to be stewards. And we need to be very careful that we are faithful stewards. All right? And that's so important. Now, last week we addressed this topic. We addressed fight the good fight as stewards of time. As stewards of time. And when we began to talk about that, we, we, we kind of used this illustration. We said, okay, God's given us so many seconds. And we used them like bills, you know. And we're to spend these appropriately. We're to care for them 
as God gives them to us. And we, we said seconds and we even said some minutes and he gives us some hours. He gives us even some week or days and then he gives us some weeks. I mean, that's that's big time. I mean, here we go, you know, and then even some months and we trust years. Here's the thing. We talked about that. and We said that none of us know exactly how much we have to spend, though. We're not sure. We've not been guaranteed tomorrow. So all we have is what God's given us. But unfortunately, you know, he kind of conceals the amount that's in the account. But either way, we have to spend these very wisely because we only have so many. And we learned three thoughts or we shared three thoughts. One, no matter what you do, it demands payment. Everything we do demands payment of time. Everything. Number two, it will never be enough, we found out. It doesn't matter how much God's given you of this to spend. You'll come to the end of your life and go, wow, wow. It's not enough. It's not enough. Why? Because the last thought we said was, it always goes too quickly. You know, the Bible says our life's but a vapor, appears for a little time, then vanisheth away. It goes too quickly. I don't care if you have a hundred of these. I promise you it goes too quickly. I mean, when you're 50 years old and you're looking at someone's 100, you think, wow, I'd have 50 more years. When you're 20 years old, you go, wow, if I could get to 40, I'd have 20 more years. Before you know it, you're 40. Before you know it, you're 50 and 60 and 70. And Well, most of us never get to 100 right now, but I mean, let's face it, just like that. You've got to be a good steward of your time then. God has entrusted so much time into your hands and mine. We have to be good stewards. We have to be faithful with that. Realizing it's not really ours to spend as we choose. We have to do it in a way that pleases and honors God. Because one day we'll stand before God and give an account for that time. Well, today, we're going to look at another aspect. It's one of those ones that makes every Baptist and every church member and every Christian cringe. Get ready. Go ahead and put the face on now. Go ahead. We're going to fight the good fight as stewards of treasure. Treasure. Amen. It's not going to be so bad, though. I want to share with you, I, I, as, as a steward, we've got to be found faithful. We're to be found faithful. So what does that mean to be faithful with our finances? What does it mean to be faithful with our finances? Well, this morning I'm going to share five basic financial principles that are both biblical and that have been helpful to me over the years, okay? That's what I'm going to do. Five. I'm going to give you five financial principles that are biblical as well as have been helpful to me over the years. And so I want to share those with you. Very practical, very simple. All right? But we need to be good stewards of our treasures. And most people, when they think of treasure, they think of finances. And that's the word I'm using for it today. We obviously know that we have children that are treasures. We know that we have parents that are treasures, especially my kids look at me that way. But um, we have a lot of things that are treasure. Now, listen, we're talking about because I had to have T's. You know, time, treasure, I have to talk about money. See, so I, I wanted to get that in with a T, so treasures, okay? I, I alliterated. You know, I like all this stuff with, anyway, okay, moving on. So today, that's what I'm going to do. Five, five principles, five principles that are both biblical and that have helped me in my life. And uh, I think you'll find them to be helpful to you today. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership today. Speak to our heart through a simple message and through your word. Again, Lord, our goal is to be a blessing and a help. 
And so, Lord, help us, Father, to just glean from you and from your word and from your spirit. Thank you for the sweet spirit of this place and for the liberty there is to preach and to teach. And, Lord, uh, I just I got back in the, 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 the room. Lord, you know my heart. I, I was just rejoicing as I, I, I thought about how well received that lesson was this morning that I taught in this class. Uh, Lord, I, I don't know if everybody agreed, but I do. it was well received. And, Lord, what can a preacher ask for more than just hearts that are at least open to let you speak to them? And Lord, today we come to you with a, a group of people gathered here today that are anxious to hear from you. God of heaven, I'm asking you to speak to them. Don't let them leave disappointed. May you give them something. Because Lord, if they're waiting on me to give them something, they're going to be waiting a long time. They need it from you. Lord, bless us today. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ in this room, may they not leave here except they receive the treasure of salvation. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, let me give you those five. Number one, be content with what you have. You say, that's a financial principle? Absolutely. Big time. Big time. Be content with what you have. Take your Bible, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul here is speaking to the church of Philippi. He makes this statement. It's interesting to note the first portion of the statement. Something that's very important. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, it's in the New Testament. He says, not that I speak in respect of one. Now, here it is. Watch this for a second, because this is very pivotal, very important. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let's put it together. Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Let's go ahead and remove something and let's say it together. Let's, let's take in whatsoever state I am. Let's just take that out for a second. He could say, for I have learned therewith to be content. Isn't that something? And then he puts in the middle of it, in whatsoever state I am. That's even harder. He says, listen, it doesn't matter what my condition or my state, my, my circumstance is. I've learned to be content. Isn't that hard to believe? That's an amazing fact, amazing truth. We know that the life of Paul was riddled, riddled with persecution and riddled with heartache and riddled with difficulties. You say, yeah, but he had such wonderful and amazing victories. I know, but boy, between every victory were some real trials. He says, listen, I have learned something in my life. I have learned something as a child of God. I have learned something from the Word of God. I have learned... In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Boy, that is a powerful truth to learn. A revolutionary truth to learn. A life-changing truth to learn. Right there. For I have learned. You know, contentment is a lost concept in our culture today. Every commercial on TV, every radio, every... Uh, billboard, anything that advertises anything is designed for one reason. It is to create a need in your life. You don't have to be thirsty driving down the road and someone's going to try to tell you you're thirsty and you need this. That's the goal. See, it's not creating a a product that people want. It's creating a thirst for a product you create. That's what you want to do. If I have something and I can create a thirst in you for it, I will be rich beyond my wildest dreams. 
And that's what advertising does. They know you don't need everything they have to sell. But they tell us we need it. They convince us we need it. And they even get us to give them our money. That is the goal of advertising. They're trying to make you feel discontent without their particular product. Every time you see an ad in a newspaper, say for Kohl's, and you see this dress or that, those shoes, ladies, uh, anytime, fellas, you see that new tool that just came out, be very careful. That advertisement is there to tell you, you can't possibly be content or happy without this product. That's what the goal is. I'm not saying that you don't necessarily need the product. I'm saying, though, you may not need it and still feel you want it and have to have it in order to be complete and content. Be very careful, though. Paul says to those, uh, the Philippians, he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I don't necessarily have to have the newest shoes. I don't have to have the nicest clothes. I don't have to have the, the latest uh, gadget or gimmick. I just need to be able to please and honor God. It goes much further with Paul, obviously. He finds himself in perils of the sea. He finds himself in a mess every other turn of his life. He even finds himself being stoned at Lystra, laid left for dead. I'm content. I'm content. I've learned. Doesn't do no good to be angry at God. I still need Him. When I do finally get back up, I'll wish I didn't turn my back on him because I'll hope he was there. I need him there. I've learned to be content in whatsoever state I am. One doesn't need to read far into the Bible to see how discontented, uh, how discontentment breeds folly, how it breeds futility, how it breeds failure even. I mean, Adam and Eve found themselves at the crossroad, that crossroad in the garden, didn't they? Turn if you would to Genesis uh, chapter 3. Discontentment. That's, that's what caused the problem here. Say, curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, but sooner or later they got discontented after their curiosity was, you know, tickled there. And they went the next step. Notice what it says here. Genesis 3.1 now, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Well, they, they, some things were pretty mixed up here. Everything that she said was not really true exactly. But nonetheless, we keep reading. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Huh. Why didn't he just say, You can touch it. You can touch it. Because God didn't say she couldn't touch it. You can touch it. Now, she shouldn't touch it. You don't touch the unclean thing. But nonetheless, he, he goes right to the heart of the matter. You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. Huh. Are you really going to be content in this garden knowing that God's withholding something that valuable? You really going to be satisfied just being old Adam and Eve when you could be like God who created you? You see what he's doing? 
He's advertising that apple or that plum or that grape. We don't know what it was exactly. But I have an image burned in my mind from the couple's retreat. (laughs) You had to be there. It was horrible. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The apple. Wow. (laughs) And Eve. (laughs) Okay, moving on. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Gave also to her husband with her, he did eat. You see what happened? She was no longer content to be just Eve in the garden. She wanted to be something else. She wanted to be more. She was discontented. Therefore, she made a bad decision. And Adam did the exact same thing. Wrong, Adam. Wrong. Lot did the same thing, didn't he? Lot looked over the well-watered plains of Sodom. Abraham says, listen, you can go whichever direction you like. Our herdsmen aren't getting along very well. He said, well, let me think. First of all, he should have deferred to the older man and said, you're much wiser than me. You've lived much longer than me. You are greater than I. I'll humble myself and let you choose Abraham. But no, he gladly jumped on that and said, oh, good. I deserve to be up front. I'm an up and coming star. I'm the next CEO of of the land. Let me go ahead and make my decision. Let me look at it now and see which one looks the best, which one looks the plushest, which one looks the greenest. And he chose the well-watered plains of Sodom. Why? Because he wasn't content going that direction or that direction. He had to have what he thought was the very best. And boy, did it cost him, didn't it? It cost him a wife. It cost him daughters. It cost him grandbabies. It cost him his purity, ultimately. It cost him his purity. Eventually has children with his own daughters. Lot. Let me tell you today, be content with what you have. That's the first principle. Be content with what you have. Number two, be careful to spend only what you make or what you have. Uh, You say, that's simple. I know that. Really? 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 I'm just saying I'm sharing some biblical as well as personal things that have helped me along the way. I hope they'll be a help to you. A biblical truth that is clearly true from our experience and, and from our experience on earth is, is found in Proverbs. Look, if you will, in Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs 22, 7. It goes along with this thought. Be careful to spend only what you make or what you have. Some would say, well, I don't really make anything. I'm on Social Security. They, they send me a check. That's fine. What you have then. What you have. By the way, you earned that. You earned it. So you made it. <laughs> if, they, if they try to make you think that you're getting something for free, you aren't. You earned it. You paid into it. You get tired of everybody acting like they're doing you a favor because they give you a check each month that you worked all those years for. That was your money. It doesn't drive you nuts when the government makes it, try to make you feel like they're doing you a favor and you paid for it already anyway? Oh, thank you so much for giving us that 1.5% raise. Man, you ought to give us a lot more than that. We paid in so much money, you've just wasted it. I'm sorry, I'm getting off my... That's my political stand. Let's move on again today. It's bothering me. It's bothering me. Now move on. Get back to the basics here. It is about money, though, see, so I'm still in the context of the, the, the message. Be careful to spend only what you make or have. Here it is. Watch this biblical principle, Proverbs 22, 7. The, the rich ruleth over the poor. Would we say that's true from our experience? 
Absolutely, it's true. Watch this. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Servant to the lender. Anybody here want to be someone's servant? You want to, want to be someone's servant? You be my servant. Uh, wash my clothes. Clean my bed. Uh, take off those linens and replace them. Uh, go ahead and uh, go, go get my dry cleaning done. And, and do this and do this and do this and do this. Make my food. I don't like that. Don't make that anymore. You want to be my servant? Everybody says, I won't serve nobody. I, I, don't, I don't like that position. I mean, and I understand we're servants of the Lord. Don't misunderstand me. But to be, you know, the, ball, you know, the, the, the master over top, you will do what I say, no matter whether you like it or not. Nobody wants to be a servant in that regard, in that sense. But the Bible says right here, the borrower is servant to the lender. Now listen, you may complain about not having what others do. Let me fill you in on a little secret. You, you should not be angry with people that have something. You're wrong. When you envy people, that's what you're doing. You're envying people that have something. You know what? You don't know the sacrifices they've made to get where they're at. There have been men and women that have worked 16 hours, 7 days a week their whole life. They have maybe millions of dollars. But let me tell you something. They've paid a great price for that. Listen, you go ahead and whine all you want. You work your 40 hours a week, make your 6 bucks an hour when you could be making 12 or 20 because you're unwilling to get an education. You're unwilling to put forth the effort to better yourself. Don't you be mad at people that put forth an effort to do something with their life. Oh, you say, wait a second. What are you? I'm, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, if that's you don't, you, don't you begrudge others that work hard and strive to have something and do just because you don't want to work to get it. Don't do that. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what race they are. I don't care what gender they are. If they work hard, they deserve what they get. I don't care. Guy says, oh, I don't think women should... Oh, who cares what you think? If she works hard enough, she gets what she gets. And if she gets lucky and hits the lotto or something, well, then we'll just take her tithe and have her to get right with God and move on. <laughs> but uh, all, all I'm saying is... I'm saying, and again, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't say those things, but I think it's important that we understand God doesn't begrudge people that have things. Being rich is not a sin. Being selfish is, though. Being rich isn't. Now, again, if you don't have what others do, I'm also going to say this, though. It may be more of a blessing than you realize. Having the nice things doesn't always mean that things are so nice. You know, many carry tremendous debt and feel the weight of it regularly, constantly. I know people that have wonderful things, but they don't own a thing. You know what I'm saying? They've got lovely homes, but they don't own them. They lose their job. Ask them how wonderful that home is now. I'm, I'm just saying, they're bearing a burden. They're paying a price for what they have, probably. Just think it through. You may be lucky. You may be blessed that you don't have all that stuff. That the world calls success. I'm just saying, be careful with your perspective. You know, in total, Americans, American consumers owe $11.36 trillion in debt. In whole, that's everyone now. $856.9 billion in credit card debt. $7.93 trillion in mortgages. $1.049 billion in student, uh, trillion in student loans. And, it, and that has increased 11% for the, from the last year. Now, again, we're increasing in our, our debt overall. How does this all break down? Now, not every area of debt's increasing, but 
overall. How's it break down? Well, U.S. household consumer debt profiles uh, stated this way. Now, this is the ones that actually owe the debt. Now, for instance, in this room, say there's 200, uh, 200 and some of us in here, 200 in here. Now, what it was going to say is not everybody in this room has debt then. But of the ones that do have debt, when you average out the debt of those that do have debt, the average credit card debt is $15,270. Now, that's, that's of the ones that do have debt. Now, again, that's not the average. Now, understand now, that's the average. That means you take the top, you take the bottom, you add them all in between, and then you divide them by the number of people that owe it. It comes up to 15000 over 15000 You may not owe fifteen. You may only owe 2000 or 4000 or 6000 but somebody else may owe 28000 or 30000 or forty. But you average it out. It comes to 15270 The average mortgage debt of everyone that has a mortgage now is $149,000, $150,000. That's the average. Now, again, that's assuming someone has a $400,000 loan in that group, and somebody else may only have a $50,000 loan. But when you average it out, it comes to $150,000. The average student loan over those that own, have student loans, the average. of Someone might have $2,000 of student loans. Another may have 50000 student loans. Get this. The average is $32,000 of student loan debt. May I tell you, there is no leech in the world more angry at you than the government when it comes to owing them money. And that's who you owe money to when it comes to student loans, basically. They do not quit. They do not give you breaks. They don't let you consolidate. They just keep sucking the life out of you. You be real careful with student loans. Let me warn you right now. Talk to anybody in the room that has student loans, and they're probably still paying them off from 10 years ago, and they'll tell you it was, it's horrible. It's horrible. They won't work with me on my interest rates. They won't work with me on my pay. It's horrible. Now, they may luck out at some point. I don't know. Maybe there's some legislation in place to fix some of those things. But all I'm telling you is it's a nightmare. Can you imagine owing $30,000 right now of student debt and you're paying 7% on it? And you can't tell them, I've got a hospital bill and I can't pay. (laughs) Okay, we'll see how that works, they'll tell you. It's bad, folks. They will garnish your wages quicker for that probably than any other debt you owe. Now, be very careful. On the early show now, here's a problem. It's a problem. Debt's a problem. People, you say, I I say, real simply, be careful to spend only what you make or what you have. People go, that's simple. Well, if I had a raise of hands right now of how many of you have credit card debt, I guarantee over half the people in the room would raise their hands. Guaranteed. I I could almost, I'd almost go as far as to say probably 65 to 70% of you have some kind of credit card debt. Well, let's, let's change that. Those that are under the age of 60, it's probably close to 70%. I'd be shocked if it was much less than that. Now listen, I'm telling you, you need to be careful that you only spend what you make or have. It will make your life so much better. Hey, listen, I won't tell you that. On the early show, Dr. Alan uh, Manovitz, a clinical psychiatrist with New York Presbyterian uh, Weill Cornell Medical Inst- uh, Center in Manhattan, he talked about the effects of stress and in this area of debt. And he expressed those realities by saying this, stress is very harmful to the body. Stress is an alarm system designed to get you to recognize a threat to your survival. When you're constantly worrying and stressing over your debt, you put your body in a constant state of alarm. The body responds by releasing stress hormones such as uh, cortisol and adrenaline, uh, resulting in increases in your heart rate, blood pressure, 
breathing pace, muscle tension, and inflammation, and dumping fuel, glucose fats, into the bloodstream. The cumulative effect in, is all increased risk of, is an increased risk of diseases ranging from diabetes to heart disease and infections such as the common cold. Stress can also exasperate pre-existing conditions from chronic pain to cancer by undermining the body's ability to repair or care for itself. Other related health woes include muscle tension, upper and lower back pain, ulcers, digestive tract problems, migraines, insomnia, tension headaches, and severe anxiety. I'm going to say something. You don't have to agree. Fibromyalgia. A lot of those are symptoms of fibromyalgia. Nobody knows how it comes about. I think we better take some stress out of our lives, folks. It may help. It may not. If you've got a legitimate problem, that won't help, obviously. You're going to still have some, uh, those same kind of things. But let me tell you something. I'm seeing some problems. Just like we have things with Ritalin, I mean Ritalin today, putting all, every kid that, that's hyperactive on Ritalin, when in reality we just need, maybe need some discipline. We might be able to lower the rate of kids that are on it. There's no discipline, so therefore kids act like crazy kids. I'm just saying that may or may not be the case in yours. I don't know. But let's face it. Let's first deal with the problem. Let's quit trying to deal with the symptoms. And all I'm saying is this doctor, not preacher, but doctor says you're going to have some problems if you allow stress to keep uh, reigning in your life. If you don't get a handle on your spending, if you keep spending more than you make and you keep having more uh, debt, let me tell you something. He says you're going to have problems with your blood pressure, possibly you have problems with your, your, your heart rate. You might have diabetes. It may inflame cancer in your life. It may bring back problems of the past. You may have neck and shoulder problems, and of which I do. It's all because of your debt, not mine. But anyway, uh, <laughs> But, but the fact is, is we got issues, you know, and, and we need to be honest with ourselves about these things and realize that they can be detrimental. That's all I'm saying, okay? Be careful to spend only what you make. It's just not your heart, but it's your family, your marriage. Do you know a lot of marriages? <laughs> Finances is a big issue. It causes a lot of marriages to collapse, and that affects children. Let me tell you, be careful. I'm just giving you some advice, biblical principles, and some things that have helped me through the years. Be content with what you have. Be careful to spend only what you make. Number three, you knew it had to pop up somewhere. Here it is. Commit to give everything God asked for. Commit to give everything God asked for. This principle has to be applied to yourself before it can be applied to your treasures. You know, we're always trying to get people to give according to the Bible. The problem is people need to give themselves. People give themselves, they'll give their finances. Because I have your wallet, I've got you. That's a lie. But if I've got you, I've got your wallet. God says, man, I want you. I want your life. I want your allegiance. I want your loyalty. Once God gets your allegiance, your loyalty, your love, you don't have a problem giving him what's his. You can take that for whatever it means to you. But let me tell you, you won't have a problem with it. You'll do it. And I won't have to beat you over the head, and nor, nor will any other preacher in America. The Bible says this, though. The reality of Bible truth, and I want you to understand this, cannot be dismissed simply because one denies its existence or doesn't believe it to be so. You know, we talk about the tithe. We talk about giving. Someone says, well, I don't believe that. Okay, Romans 3, 4 says this. God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, thou, thou, uh, that, the, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome them when thou art judged. God forbid, yea, let, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. See, the foundation and authority of any command 
is not whether it is believed by the creature, but that it is enforced by the Creator. Okay? Now, let let me say that again. I, I had to write it three times to get it right. The foundation and authority of any command is not whether it is believed by the creature, that's us, the created, but that it is enforced by the Creator. See, that's what makes this thing binding. Not because you believe it or not, but because God said that's what is. It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what God says. God clearly commands us to give. That's all there is to it. In the garden, there was a tree that was God's. You can eat of every tree in the garden, but what? The one in the midst. That's my tree. You have no right to it. It's not yours. Abraham was compelled to tithe and to give a tenth of his increase long before the law was ever instituted. The law hadn't even come into place. And Abraham was giving a tenth. His children followed his example. And guess what? It's interesting. Being of faith, you and I are also called the children of Abraham. In the book of Galatians 3, 7, the Bible says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. He trained his to tithe. Then why wouldn't we if we're his children? It's not. It's in the law. But it was before the law. It has nothing to do with the law for you and I. It has to do with faith. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this. I really blow your socks off by telling you this. In the New Testament, the Bible, Jesus in, in his, his, his uh, Sermon on the Mount, he begins to share a principle. And basically, he says, you know, if, if, a, if a military man compels you to carry his pack for a mile, don't carry it just a mile, carry it two. What? Two? It's not right that I carry it one. I know, but hold on. He says, now, the first mile is duty. The second mile is choice. And then you'll really show my love that way, see? You'll really show them what you're made of then because it's you choose. Uh, okay, you've gone a mile, son. Oh, that's all right. Let's go. I'll do one more. What? You'll do, why? Why will you do that? Because Jehovah God is my God. Amen. And I'm, going to, I'm a servant of His first. And He told me that if I want to truly make an impact in this world, I need to go the extra mile. Guess what? That principle is true in your giving in New Testament giving now. You don't just go the first mile, which is expected. You go the next mile. See, the tithe is the beginning place for New Testament Christianity. In the Old Testament, you had to give a tithe. In the New Testament, you get to give a tithe and go the next step. You say, I don't like it. It doesn't matter whether you like it, remember? All that matters is that God said it. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Doesn't matter. He says, you guys are closed-minded. I'm not closed-minded. God is. Take it up with Him. He's picking on you, not me. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And see, the tithe comes with blessings. Giving comes with blessing. We forget about that. He says, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You say, well, didn't you come on hard times? Yeah. I remember a day when we were making $200 gross a week. $200 gross a week. We gave $50 of it to the church every week. 
We gave 25% of our income when we were making $200 gross. We still had children. We still had house payment. We still had utilities. We still had a car, uh, uh, not payments because we didn't go into debt, but we still had, we still had um, uh, to pay gas for cars and insurance and all that stuff. God provided for us. God met our needs. Listen to me. You don't throw God's, the requirement of God out the window because you say you don't have what you think you deserve. Man, if anything, I gave more. And then if I, when I got a little $6 raise, I gave more money. I gave the whole raise back to the church. I started making $206 a week. And I gave the six back. Folks, listen to me. I, I'm not talking to you from something I don't know. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there. And some of you have been there. It's not about what we make that determines what we give. It's about what God demands and commands of us. If God tells you to give $100 a week and you're only making 200 give 100 because that's what God wants from you. But you better not give less than 20 because that's what's required. So he says, I don't like this talk. What am I supposed to do? Lie to you? I'm not supposed to tell you the truth? I just, all that matters to me is that you like me, so I'll tell you what you want to hear. You don't have to give a dime if you don't want it. It won't ever matter in heaven. It won't matter in hell. It won't matter for the people going to hell. It doesn't matter with your family. God will bless your home no matter what you give, whether you choose to or not. Who cares? Is that what you want to hear? Because that's probably what I would like to hear. I mean, that would be great. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I think sometimes the money. I looked at my giving receipt list this week, and I'm not going to tell you what it was. You want to know? You can ask me. I'll be more than happy to tell you. Let me tell you something. I looked at what I gave this year, and I thought to myself, if I didn't give that this year, I can't even imagine how different my life would be over the next three years. Next four or five years. I can't even imagine Folks, listen to me. I don't begrudge giving to the church, man. Every good thing I've got, including my wife, my children, everything you see today. The fact that I stand here with the help that I have, I give a tribute to God and being faithful with giving. Not just money, but myself. It's all Him. And you know what? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't yet, get on board with this thing. Let God prove Himself herewith. He will pour blessing out to you too. So, Let's move on because I've got two very, very short ones. We've, got, we've already talked about um, be content with what you have. Be careful to, own, to spend only what you make. Commit to everything God asks for. Here's the fourth one. Real simple. Consistently try to save. Consistently try to save. I'm talking about save money. Try to. Sadly, most spend everything they make. Most you know, money comes in. This hand goes out that hand the same day, usually. It's already spent before it ever gets here, so to speak. You know what I mean? And I understand when we have bills and responsibilities, and it does. It does. It goes fast. Let's face it. We get a few extra bucks, and immediately we feel the need to spend it. You know, I mean, we get a few extra bucks, and boom, we go out to eat. We buy a new game. We order something online. Boom, it's gone. Just like that. I deserve it. I've worked hard. You know what I'm saying? I got a bonus at work. I'm buying that shotgun I always wanted. I, I'm, I'm buying that air conditioner that I think that we need down in the basement. Even though we have the two upstairs, we just throw one down there real quick. Hold on, wait a second. Think before you spend. Don't just spend it. Here, honey, go buy a new dress. Bam. I appreciate that, sir. But hold on a second. Maybe she would like to eat next month. Maybe she'd like her electric to still be on. And not get that notice in the mail that says, we're turning it off. 
I'm just saying, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but most of you don't live like that, maybe. I hope you don't, but I know tons of people that have and do. I don't want that for you. And I don't think that God wants that as much as possible. Some of you are on fixed incomes. You don't get the privilege and opportunity to have an extra buck here and there. I tell you, you want to learn how to live frugal? You want to learn how to live wisely? Talk to these that are over 70 years old that are on fixed incomes. Ask them what they make a month. I think they'll be willing to tell you and then find out how they make it. We whine so much. Some of these folks in this church give more than probably some of the ones that make ten times what they make. And yet they only make, maybe if they're lucky, a thousand or eleven hundred dollars a month if they're lucky. And they're living, paying their bills, and half time they're supporting their children and doing other things on top of it. And they make nothing. And yet they go miss three weeks of church, and their tithe checks come rolling in. How's that happen? They're very wise. Ask them. They've lived life. They can help you. You and I need to be wise and save money for a rainy day. Remember years ago, some of you older folks, my generation even know, rainy day fund? Remember those rainy day funds? Where have those gone today? You say, well, that's all it. We've got we to eat. I, I understand that. I do. Trust me. I understand that. But hold on. Save something. We live paycheck to paycheck. Every paycheck. I mean, we buy everything we need, everything we want. And then we go, we don't have any money. When's the last time, when's the last time you just prayed and prayed and prayed till God literally put it on someone's heart to give you something you needed instead of going out and buying what you needed? I mean, when's the last time you really needed a couch? I'm talking about when you sat in it, you literally, your butt touched the ground. I've had those. Have you ever had those? Uh, When's the last time you said, we're not buying nothing. We're going to pray, and if God wants us to have a new one, we'll get a new one. Or if God wants to have a user, we'll get a user. We're going to let God supply. And somebody walks up to you and says, here, I don't know why I'm compelled to give you this money. I don't know why, but do you need furniture? God put on my heart. Or, hey, uh, Somebody has some furniture. If you, you need any furniture, you might want to talk to brother or sister so-and-so. What? Do you understand where I'm going with this? But no, it goes in one hand, out the other. Because if we're not careful, we think we deserve these things. I'm just saying, it isn't the amount of savings either that determines success in this area. It's the discipline. I don't care if it's $5 a week, say $5 a week. You say, that's stupid. No, it's a discipline. It's important. Because then when you do get a little extra, you may, you'll save a little more. And before you know it, you'll have $300 in an account. You'll have $500 in an account. You'll be amazed how it will accumulate if you'll be careful. Oh, let me give you another suggestion. Instead of when you get your, your uh, um, uh, government check here in the next few, what's it called, our uh, income tax? You know what happens to our income? Most of you, most of, if, uh, here's what I hear at least. Most people already have it spent. Don't spend your income tax. If you really are tight on money, take that income tax, throw it in the bank, and live off of it for the next year. Supplement your monthly income. Pay your bills with it. Well, we, we want to go out and buy new furniture. We want to buy a new car. We want, don't do that. Someone says, you're nuts. Yeah, I'm nuts, but I'm not, not all bound with debt. I'm not laying awake at night hoping my bills get paid. I'm not worried that my gas is going to get shut off, and I do pay my gas bill. You don't. I do. Your gas bill is paid by the church. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'm just telling you. 
We've got to be wise with our money. Finally, last but not least, here it is. Consciously consider the future. Consciously consider the future. We've already said, be content with what you have. Be careful to spend only what you make. Commit to give everything God asks for. Consistently try to save. And consciously consider the future. These are biblical principles. And they're principles I've applied to my life that have helped me. I'm not saying i got it all figured out. I'm not saying that I may not go broke. I'm not saying that all my money may, be, they may change the currency and everything I've saved for retirement and everything else will be useless. I know those things can happen to us. And I would be surprised if I get to retirement before they don't change the currency and I'm left with nothing. I'll be surprised if it doesn't happen. But nonetheless, that's a positive outlook that I have as a preacher. Amen. But con- consciously consider the future. Says, listen, life, this life is not all there is. And um, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to give an account as stewards of our treasures. How are you spending your money? How are you investing your money? How are you uh, using it to increase the kingdom? How are you encouraging your family in your testimony with Christ by your giving? I, are, are your kids aware that you love the Lord enough to give consistently, to share extra and above and beyond? So many of you give. It's wonderful to watch when the, the building funds come and the... the, 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 the um, a faith promise shows up and you give and you give and you give. But let me tell you, it's a, it's a relatively small group of people that give the majority of the giving. Can you imagine if we all caught this element of how good God's been and how much of everything I have is really not mine, it's His anyway. And, and I'm not going to give Caesar all of my interest. I'm going to go ahead and buy things as I get it and I'll have extra money available for the things that God demands and commands of me. Man, imagine... I used to tell people years ago, take all the interest you're paying on your loans, and when you pay off your interest, just give that interest back to God. You've given it to Caesar all those years. Now give it to God. Can you imagine that? Think about how much money God would be getting if you just gave the interest that you pay Caesar. It wouldn't cost you any more than you're paying anyway. It's just God would get the benefit instead of the world now. Someone says, that's crazy. No, that's just the principle. It's the thought I have. Finally, this then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. You haven't started living till you give your life to Jesus Christ. I mean, really. You just give your life to Christ. No holds barred. Just surrender it to him. Yield it to him. You'll never regret that decision. There's nothing more valuable than you to God. Than you. When it's all said and done, He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need yours. He gives us the privilege of being a part of it. He blesses us in our obedience. But hold on. What He really wants is you today. That's what He wants. You need to be consciously considerate of the future. Not just in your giving financially and of self, but realize that ultimately we all stand before God and give an account as believers and those that have yet to receive Him. Because the last verse there in that passage says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything in your life worth going to hell for? Is there anyone in your life worth going to hell for? I mean, that's a good question. Because God says, there's nothing more valuable than your soul. 
Is your reputation this morning more valuable than your soul? The music will play. We'll all stand. But you won't come forward and get this settled because you're worried what people will think. You might be embarrassed. Oh, so your reputation is more valuable than your soul. God says you may feel that way, but it's not true. Nothing is more important than your soul. Let's settle that today as well. And let's make some decisions to not get ourselves in all this debt, to be very careful to save a little bit here and there so we have that rainy day. fund. Let's, let's use some good biblical wisdom dealing with our treasures so we can be good stewards of our finances. And then let's, most of all, be good stewards of our soul and settle it if we haven't today. Well, thank you for it, Lord. Lord, we come to you. We thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for these that have been so attentive and listened so well. And Lord, I know sometimes I say things that uh, might be a little bit hard to swallow, but Lord, I pray, Father, that if anything, it gets someone's attention. It helps them to recognize or to, to see something maybe that they didn't before. Maybe they don't agree exactly, but Lord, it's not about that. It's about allowing the Word to just kind of hit us and then let the Holy Spirit really move and start to drive home truths in our lives and to begin to work in our hearts. Lord, I know in my own life there's so many errors I need to work on constantly, and sometimes it can seem overwhelming to me. Lord, we come together like a day like today, and we focus on one area. Help us, Lord, maybe to make decisions in that area this morning that will affect our future, that will affect our families in a very positive light. Lord, if there be any that are lost without Christ today, may they settle that. May they not leave here without you, without coming forward and allowing someone to take a Bible and show them how to be saved. Lord, we'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you will accomplish in Christ's name. Amen.